0: Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. While we're turning there, uh, just a reminder that on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, currently studying uh, the next-to-last chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, the Passion of Jesus, the cross, and a powerful section. We'll be studying that tonight at 6, and each of you are invited. We pick things up here uh, and begin things, actually, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is not; it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because... We know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that you are our God, and we are thankful for all of the ways that you have given us to draw close to you, to come to know you better. And we thank you supremely in that regard for your Bible, for your Word, And we know that, Jesus, you said it's going to outlive the heavens and the earth. It's going to have the final say in human history and in every individual life. And how we rejoice in that. And we pray that you would take these truths that are found on this page and that you would lift them off of the page and insert them into our understanding of you and into our relationship with you. And we pray for this work of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I had intended to go from our recent study in the the book of Jude directly into uh, a study of the book of Revelation. And uh, I think that study in the book of Revelation will happen this fall, God willing, but uh, given the... Uh, intensity and uh, the exhortiveness of the book of Jude, and then given the intensity of the book of Revelation, prayerfully I thought it might be good for us to uh, separate them with a short summer series that focused solely on uh, pure encouragements from uh, God's Word, and specifically from the book of 2 Corinthians. We won't study the entire book, but we'll study somewhere twelve or fourteen studies from the book in that uh, in that idea of pure encouragement. I call them pure encouragements because, uh, by and large, the encouragements that we're going to put our focus on, are uh, rest solely upon God and His work in our lives. They're not dependent upon our human effort. They're not dependent upon our talent or our determination in. Uh, life at all, uh, but uh, and because they're not dependent upon us anyway, they're sure, there's something that we can be absolutely confident in because they have their source solely in God. Now, there are many secular encouragements in life that are wonderful in their own way, uh, however uh, limited it might be, but. So often these uh, uh, professions that are, are, are made, these uh, kind of positive affirmations that are, are made, because so often they depend upon our own determination, our own talent, our own human effort, uh, they're not pure encouragements, uh, because they may make me feel good for the moment. Uh, and uh, but their encouragement has no enduring effect in my life. They're just so often just one more thing that I'm saying to myself that I now have to live up to in my own strength. They actually become a burden in life. Some example of, of positive affirmations, as they're called today, uh, that are, are very, very popular is to for someone to say to themselves, I am enough. Well, if we're talking about me going into the backyard, and uh, weeding the backyard, then I probably am enough for that. But if you're talking about all of life, and what can happen to a human being, any human being in the course of a single day, none of us are enough for that. It's just wishful thinking. Uh, the uh, One that is very popular right now is, I am my own superhero. And, uh, and that's not a joke. People getting up in the morning and they're telling themselves, I am my own superhero. Well, the glaring problem with that is superheroes are a concoction of our own imagination. There are no superheroes. And, uh, and we are not a superhero in, in our own life, no matter how much time uh, we might tell ourselves that. Here's uh, one that is very, very common I can do anything that I put my mind to." Uh, that's not true on any level. It's not true on an emotional level, it's not true on a, on a mental level, uh, certainly not true on a spiritual level, not true even on a physical uh, level. Perhaps you've been watching the NBA uh, playoffs uh, as they're uh, occurring presently, and notice that there are no 66-year-old men playing on uh, any of the teams. And personally, I may desperately want to play in the NBA. I may desperately want to be a brain surgeon. I may desperately want to write a computer code or win the gold medal in the hundred-meter dash in the Olympics this summer in uh, Japan, but it simply isn't going to happen. Too many obstacles between uh, uh, that saying and reality. And here's one that's akin to it. I can be anything I want to be, and good luck with that. And I'm all for positive thinking as opposed to negative thinking in life. It will take a, a person uh, f- further forward than negative thinking will, uh, will take a person, but these kind of things just simply aren't true. Other examples of this kind of thing are, I'm going to make the rest of my life the best of my life. But you and I have so little control of our life that we can't affirm that to ourselves with any kind of seriousness. And another one that is popular today is, I persevere, I am relentless, I keep going. And again, while that may have an emotional Uh, help in a given situation momentarily when you say I persevere I am relentless I keep going tell that to a terminal illness tell that to mental illness Uh, or tell it to death one day and those things will just laugh in our face if we try to meet them with these these kind of things but God's encouragements and his promises to us are sure because they rest solely upon him and his work in our lives and his commitment to those encouragements and to those promises. Now, let me just a brief moment to uh, give us a little bit of an understanding of the Apostle Paul's relationship to the church at Corinth so we can get our bearings as we head through it in the coming weeks. The Apostle Paul founded the church in the city of Corinth at the latter end of his second missionary journey. The city was a a dangerous city. The city was a a Gentile, pagan, uh, immoral city, a tough place to plant a church. And Paul, as he was in that city, was gripped by fear related to it. And the Lord spoke to him and said, don't be afraid, remain here. I have many people here. And Paul proceeded then to dedicate and commit 18 months of a, a very limited and precious uh, years of his uh, public ministry to planting that church in Corinth. And then the letter that he writes here, uh, 2 Corinthians, he writes to the church there uh, absent from it while on his third missionary journey from uh, the city of, uh, of Ephesus. His relationship with the church at Corinth was a tumultuous one, and it wasn't because of any fault in him it, but it was because of their carnality and their pride. Their treatment of him as, uh, as Christians, especially in the light of all that they owed to the Apostle Paul, was absolutely shameful. In fact, the Bible teaches that for the first hundred years of our time in heaven, all members of the church at Corinth will have to wear a bag over their head. Related, It doesn't really teach that. But it was really uh, shameful. And I think it's a marvel as I look at the Apostle Paul's life and you read through what they put him through in 1st Corinthians and in 2nd Corinthians, it is a marvel that he didn't just simply wash his hands of the church and say, I'm going to go and find people that care about uh, what God is doing, that aren't so dominated by their pride and by their arrogance. I'm going to go f- uh, find a place that's never heard the gospel, put these people into my rearview mirror and move forward in life. And yet he never does that. He remains committed to them is a powerful example of a love that he had for the body of Christ, for all of its spots and all of its uh, wrinkles, a love that was uh, uh, something that uh, resembled Christ uh, within, uh, within his life. But out of this painful dynamic that occurred between Paul and the church there came this letter. And if nothing else came out of that painful dynamic but this letter, then at least for us and certainly for the Apostle Paul, it, it, would, it was worth it because here in second corinthians we have the most personal most um, a transparent letter in terms of paul's inner workings what he thinks what he felt what kept him going of all of the letters that are found um, in in the new testament and it provides us with this invaluable look at his heart with for god and his relationship with god and so with that we come now to our passage which contains One of the most, in my mind, one of the most beautiful titles for God in the entire Bible. There, in verse three, the God of all comfort. And so, characteristically, Paul begins his uh, this letter like he does all of his other letters, and he begins it with praise and thanksgiving to God, and he gives thanks to God as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea is God, even the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. He praises God. He praises the Father for being the Father of mercies. He praises Him for His compassion upon us. And then He praises God as the God of all comfort. And the interesting thing about this Uh, threefold kind of praise that he lifts up to the Lord is that this declaration that Paul makes of God is the God of all comfort, that description of God is what Paul then makes the great focus of these verses. And in fact, the Greek word that Paul uses for comfort here appears fully ten times in these handful of verses, six times as a noun, four times as a verb, communicating that this comfort is not only a reality within our lives, but it is an active reality within our lives. The word translated comfort in the original language as Paul uses it here can be translated encouragement or consolation as well. And the Greek word is the, is the word uh, uh, paraklesos, and it speaks of someone who comes alongside another person in order to comfort them and encourage them uh, in a time of, of difficulty. Some of you will recognize immediately uh, as we talk about Paraklesos, it, its relationship to one of uh, the famous names concerning the Holy Spirit in the Bible, and that is that he is the Parakletos. That is a title that Jesus gave to the Holy Spirit. And it, sa- and it speaks concerning the Holy Spirit of the fact that he comes alongside us to help us. And Jesus declared in... John chapter 14 verse 16 and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper parakletos, the same word that he may or, uh, another helper another comforter in the old king james that he may abide with you forever and so it speaks of the fact that God comes alongside us he provides us with the comfort the help he provides us with the encouragement that we need in the course of our a Christian pilgrimage. Now, it's always impacted me to notice, I think from the very first time that I read this passage as a new Christian, that Paul describes uh, our God is the God of all comfort. You notice he, does, he doesn't say that he is the God of comfort. He could have said that, but he doesn't do it. He says that God, this, our God is the God of all uh, all comfort. And that is, in a technical sense, God is the source of all true comfort in this world. He's not the source of some of it. He's not the source of most of it. He is the source of all that we could properly call uh, comfort in this world because comfort is something that is greater than sympathy or pity. And that's the best that we can offer one another as one mere human being to another human being is sympathy or pity. And I don't say that to dismiss the importance of sympathy and pity, or to say that it is completely useless uh, to impart into another person's uh, life at all. But it is to realize, that there are circumstances in life that we face which silence everyone but God, that anything that we would attempt to say to a person, as a mere human being, say to a person, in their circumstance that they're in, it would come across as just trite or wishful uh, thinking. There are circumstances that every human being faces in which only God can speak authoritatively in terms of bringing comfort into their uh, lives. There's an old saying, if you can't improve upon silence, don't try. Um, I wish I had obeyed that more. In the course of my life, I'm always trying to improve upon uh, silence, even in these kind of situations. But there are a lot of uh, situations in in life where uh, that do silence us, and they're intended to silence us. They're intended to confront us with our utter inability to offer anything meaningful to this person in the middle of what they're in the middle of in terms of any real comfort. And more than once I've tried to make a dent in uh, 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 that kind of a situation in a person's life in terms of comfort. And I end up saying something uh, to them in order to try and be helpful and immediately I regret what it is that's come out of my mouth. Again, it comes out as trite, it comes out as surface, it comes out as wishful thinking. It has no power to help the person that I have, have endeavoring to help. I would have been better for me to just stand next to them, sit with them in that room in silence and, and try to be an impact by virtue of presence. And to have something come out where somebody is really, really deep in trouble. And then to say something and immediately confronted with the powerlessness of it, it seems to get about six inches outside of our mouth and it falls to the ground. And then I leave those kind of environments and I pray to the Lord and I say, Lord, forgive me for trying to jump in on that there. And uh, would you give them the grace to forget what it is that I said to them and to forgive me for endeavoring to speak into this situation in a way that that only you can. God's comfort is different because he not only speaks and ministers comfort, but then he proceed words of comfort, but then he proceeds to accomplish those very things within our lives. Now why in the world do we need this work of comfort in our lives as Christians? I mean, what's the use of comfort if there's no need for it? And Paul uh, uh, brings that forth here in verse 4. And you notice what God offers us comfort in the midst of? He says, in all of our tribulation. And this word, uh, tribulation, is a powerful one as well in the original uh, language. And it is the Greek word philipsis, and it speaks of extreme hardship. It speaks of a trial and a difficulty that is crushing, one that is suffocating you in terms of the weight that it is placing uh, upon you. It speaks of a, a difficulty that is pressing us down. And our English word tribulation comes from a Latin word, tribulum, which was used of a roller by the Romans for pressing wheat, and They'd take these great logs and they would roll them over the wheat in order to produce such a crushing upon it that the chaff would be separated from the wheat. In ancient England, uh, there, those who uh, willfully refused to plead guilty concerning their crimes, they would be laid flat on the ground. They would have these massive weights placed on their chests until their chests were pressed down unable to draw in a breath, and they were crushed to death. And that's what tribulation, that's what he's talking about here. This is the the scope of problem and difficulty that uh, when life gets into that kind of a realm, that only God can speak into it authoritatively with comfort. I remember when I, I was a relatively new Christian. And uh, I was listening to some Christian show on the radio, and a lady was talking about uh, victory in her life in the midst of trials. And the illustration that she gave is that her car uh, broke down on the side of the highway or something to do with her windshield wiper. She got out and she went over and she fixed the windshield wiper and uh, she broke her fingernail. And uh and yet she got right back into her car afterwards and didn't even allow it to affect her. So we're not talking about that kind of a thing. Philipsis is something altogether uh different, and you need a voice, an authoritative voice we do, to survive those kind of circumstances. And so it speaks of a I can't breathe kind of pressure or tribulation in life. And that can be an emotional pressure, it can be a mental pressure, it can be a physical pressure, it can be a spiritual uh, pressure. And it includes in our life as Christians, uh, not only all of the things that we face in life that are like everybody else that faces in life, the worries about putting food on the table or uh, making a a car payment or or, uh, uh, paying the rent or or these kind of things that occur within, uh, within our lives and the relationship pressures, illnesses that come into our lives. But as Christians, it also includes the pressure that we feel, all of the tribulation that we feel and that we face and increasingly face for simply being uh, Christians in this world, and for simply standing by the teachings of Scripture in our lives, and all of that pressure that we might feel by virtue of being faithful to God as a Christian, faithful to God's call upon our lives. Now, it's very, very important to understand what Paul is and isn't saying here. Paul is not saying that God's comfort will always mean the removal of the affliction, but rather that God will pour out all of the many forms of His comfort upon our lives until we get to the other side of it, even if that other side of it uh, it ends up being heaven. And this is so huge to uh, understand. If I bring an expectation Into my Christian life that by becoming a Christian it will mean the end of all of the troubles in my life or that it will at least be the end of tribulation in my life the end of Philipsis in my life and these kind of uh, greatness of these kind of trials then I am bringing an expectation to my Christian life that God does not promise within His Word. In fact, He promises that we will experience this kind of tribulation and thalipsis within, within our lives. Jesus taught in John chapter 16, verse 33, These things I've spoken unto you, that in Me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. He uses the word thalipsis. In the world you will have tribulation, speaking to us as Christians, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world." And It happens so often where I might be uh, listening to a debate on YouTube or a podcast or something, maybe an atheist against a a Christian, uh, you know, in terms of a debate or somebody talking about whatever, even uh, something that can be on a newscast or something. And people will continually talk about the fact that I can't believe in God uh, because of the fact that he's brought this disaster into my life on a personal level or because of some disaster that occurs within the world. And it's always so hard for me to hear that because it's just a misunderstanding of the origin of those things as if God is the source or he is the one that is responsible for that. The reason here, you and I are as individual human beings, what we are physically, what we are emotionally, mentally, isn't even remotely close to what God intended us to be in His original creation. There is not one square inch of planet Earth that it, it even comes close to what God intended this Earth to be in His original creation. The world is a fallen place. And the reason that we have tribulation in our own life, the reason that even the creation groans, as Paul brings out in Romans chapter 8, the explanation for it is very simply two words. The fall, the sin of Adam and Eve in that ancient Garden of Eden, and then all that was unleashed into the human condition as a uh, result uh, of uh, of that. And, and so, uh, none of our individual lives are going to be spared this kind of thing. Nature uh, is not uh, going to be spared the problems associated with the fall. Hey, a new heaven and a new earth, the glory of it, the glory of a new body, all of that awaits us, but that's in the future. And so the promise of comfort is not the d- promise or the guarantee he'll remove every difficulty from my life. God doesn't promise to keep us from tribulation, and there are multiple reasons for that. But he does promise to keep us and to comfort us in tribulation. In fact, the promise of comfort would be meaningless without tribulation, because if there was no tribulation in my life, I would have no need of comfort. The reason that we crave His comfort, the reason that we need His comfort, is because of the tribulation in this world and in our lives as a result. Well, all of that then raises the question of how exactly is it that God comforts us in these seasons of thalipsis or these these times of tribulation? Well, clearly it is in some realm of the, the Holy Spirit, and at least the leading of the Holy Spirit, and uh, something supernatural from Him. It can be a spiritual gift that God uh, uses, some charisma or a grace of the Holy Spirit in the form of maybe bringing to our remembrance some passage that uh, speaks to us in the situation. I think it's always wonderful when we're in a deep, deep trial, when somebody sends us a verse It's certainly wonderful to then look at whatever trial I'm in and say, what does the Bible say about this and begin to study that? All of that is very important. But then there's something wonderful that also happens by the Holy Spirit when God gives us and brings to our remembrance a passage from Scripture and we know as we receive it by the Holy Spirit that he is saying, this is how you are to see what you are in the middle of this is the promise i want to rise have raised above all other promises in your life in this situation and what such a word of wisdom or word of knowledge or a verse coming to us in that kind of revelatory way can mean to us sometimes god will do it by uh, means of giving us a gift of healing or a miracle or a gift of faith or imparting spiritual power and, and uh, strength, and, and so forth. It's fascinating that Paul doesn't list uh, the means by which God comforts here. Uh, and I think the reason that he doesn't is because it's inexhaustible. How God comforts each and every one of us, is diverse as we are, in this room as the body of Christ in the whole world, the circumstance themselves, who and what we are individually, and his means of comforting us are as diverse as uh, those circumstances and those uh, individuals. And so, he, uh, Paul says, what's the point in, in listing all of it? God will simply do it by the means that he chooses uh, to do so, and do it he does. Then Paul goes on in verse 4 to say, that, and he uses the word that, In other words, God comforts us in our tribulation in order that, among other reasons, having received God's comfort, we might be able to comfort others in trouble as well. This is not the only reason for our trials as Christians, but it is one of the reasons, and it's an important reason for trials that come into our lives that we would learn something within that philipsis, within that tribulation, and then the experience of God's comfort while in it, to then be equipped in some way, to then be an encouragement or a comfort to someone else who is not necessarily in the same trouble, but to anyone who finds themselves in uh, trouble. I don't know about you, But I find that when I'm in a time of tribulation it's very, very helpful for me to know that this, uh, this season has a larger purpose than merely surviving it. That it is producing something within my life, a quality, that will then be helpful in ministering to others who are in tribulation later. That there is a greater good that is involved in uh, this thing that god is doing in my life there's something about difficulty that when our lives when our eyes are taken off of ourselves and us alone in that tribulation and then placed upon the larger picture of loved ones other people that are being helped by my continuation through this trial or will be uh, helped as I find myself on the other side of this tribulation. I mean, don't shout out, but how many of you have been through a divorce, or an illness, or a cast catastrophic betrayal, or whatever it might be in life, and the trial is so deep and so disorienting that you would have been willing to die in order to escape the difficulty of that trial. Now, we don't do that because that's, that's God, He numbers our days. But that's where tribulation can go in life. And then somehow, one of the things that steps in, and the reason that we don't do things that we can't, uh, aren't supposed to do, is our mind then goes to the fact that God still has a call on my life. That's not a decision I get to make about my, uh, my life. He numbers my days. He's the one that's going to do it. Or I have to continue in this trial for the sake of my children, for the sake uh, of my grandchildren, for the sake of other people that are in my life, and just the realization that this is something that, it ha- it, that this is working in my life to have a larger impact upon other people, well, it does a great good in us. It does something very important uh, within us. And because there's no shortage of tribulation and hardship in the world, and there never will be, it's important that there not, that there not be a shortage of God's comfort. And so, how does God multiply his comfort? in this world. And it's very often by allowing us as Christians to experience deep tribulation within our lives, and then to be, receive his comfort in the midst of it, and then by extending that comfort to others who are in tribulation. Now what does that comfort look like coming from us practically that gets us extended to uh, other people? What would that look like in our lives? Well, it can take the form of expressing a genuine, heartfelt sympathy and compassion towards someone else in their tribulation. And I I hate to think of what a a shallow, uh, petty, ill-equipped person to speak into somebody's difficulty and tribulation in their life that I would be Apart from the deep tribulations that God has either allowed in my life or he has brought into my life. In which I could then experience his comfort and have something to say or even to uh, feel towards someone who is in a deep trial as well. It produces an understanding for people in trial. It produces a compassion for people in trial that we would never otherwise know if we hadn't gone through it uh, ourselves. And so it, uh, it, it, it bumps and bruises that we've experienced in life. It produces that kind of compassion and that kind of love and understanding. This um, comfort that might come from our lives can take the form of encouraging someone and uh, maybe by sharing a passage of Scripture that the Holy Spirit directs us to to share with uh, that person. And it's very uh, important to be careful here that we, in in sharing a verse in this kind of a a circumstance, that we not do it in an attempt to snap them out of it. Uh, for them to get back to normal there i gave you your verse all things work together for good for those that love god and they're called according to the purpose and we don't know that god has told us to speak that they already know that verse m- most likely because 300 other christians have already told them that but but for and then you say well there's the verse now let's go out and and uh, get back to normal and have a nice lunch together And very often, we'll go into these situations and we feel like we've got to be something spiritual, we've got to say something spiritual uh, to them, irregardless of any leading of the Holy Spirit, and then that's not helpful. But when the Holy Spirit directs us to do that, then it's very, very uh, important to infuse hope and godly perspective. Also helpful is a Spirit-led witness Uh, to God's goodness and faithfulness from our own lives. Again, this has to be qualified. There is nothing, just about nothing, worse that I can do to a person in deep tribulation than to come into their presence and then tell them all about my problem that I went through one time. Boy, I bless them. And they're in the kitchen removing all sharp objects from their house. You've left them in such a mess, or I have. Uh, on things. And so, the worst thing is to take and now make this all about me instead of uh, all uh, about them. But having said that, remember David, King David, the, the great psalmist of Israel, how many of his psalms he wrote of a testimony of things that God had taken him through. They were a mess. He didn't know if he would survive it, and yet God did this, and then this happened. And why do we go to the Psalms in times of tribulation except that that witness, someone telling us from the pages of Scripture that you're going to make it, God is in control, is something that we need to hear. So it has its, its place. Sometimes the greatest comfort that we can offer is just by simply being present uh, if needed. And uh, for most people, suffering becomes far worse when they feel alone or they feel uh, abandoned. I remember one time I was in, up to that time in my life, the deepest trial I had ever been in. It was was disorienting, and I didn't know how what my condition would be coming out of it and i'm not talking about my cancer i didn't know what i would end up being on the other side of this and i think a lot of us we go through these kind of trials and all we don't tell everybody about it or something but we may tell two or three people about it and say would you pray about that and, and check in on me and that kind of thing and one of the guys that knew this was going on in my life after it was all over, and somehow the conversation, I didn't grill him, but somehow the conversation went to the place and I, you know, where you never contacted me, never picked up a phone, never contacted me at all. And he said to me, well, I prayed for you and God told me that you were gonna be okay. Well, maybe I needed to hear that. Or, or just maybe I needed a phone call. Maybe I needed just presence from someone. Not the answer to all of my problems or anything like that, but it's with all of us. Most often these trials are are extraordinarily more difficult to to navigate when we're all alone uh, in them. Sometimes we can be a comfort by just being a safe person for someone to talk to. Certainly by saying to someone, I commit to praying for you during the duration of this, this tribulation that you find yourself in sometimes it can occur by just meeting a practical need in their life where it's going to be hard for them to meet maybe to pick up groceries run the errands you know pay the bills or take them to a, 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 the doctor's office something like that it can be a great comfort and then i think by just simply being an example just by continuing to walk with god in the midst of Uh, them in the midst of their tribulation. And people then seeing when we get into our our times of tribulation, that we continue with the Lord by the grace of God. And what that means to a person in tribulation, to have seen other Christians in deep water make it through that, and carry on or to come in a room like this where we oftentimes sit in the same section and we know get to know people in the in the section and then we know that person is going through such and such right now in their life and yet they continue with God and they may never say a word to me they may never even know that I'm watching them in the depth of my tribulation, looking for comfort and hope from the Holy Spirit, and yet their continuation with the Lord is a massive comfort into, uh, into our lives and into the lives of others as they see just the wisdom of God, the power uh, of God, the strength of God, the grace of God and comfort of God at work in our lives and are encouraged by it and so Paul in in verse 5 he allow me to read it to you again he said for as as the sufferings of Christ abound in us so our consolation also abounds through Christ in other words Paul declared that he was confident and that we can be confident that the same uh, union the same identification Uh, with Jesus that can bring suffering into our lives is going to be more than matched by the comfort that God will then supply to us in that suffering. And Paul wants us to have that confidence when we suffer, and also concerning other Christians that are suffering. So often we can look at a, a Christian, and it can be Um, in our own family, or someone that we care a great deal about, we have no words to speak into their uh, life, or we've spoken all of them into their life. And Paul says, what you need to know is no matter how deep the trial is that they're in, God is adding an even greater measure on his part, independent of us, On his part a comfort that is in even greater measure in their life than their tribulation and here Paul in verse 6 he informs us that no affliction we endure in the Christian life is ever going to be wasted that ultimately God will take it and when we're afflicted he will use it to for us to provide comfort to someone else down uh, the road and then for us to know That he is taking other Christians through tribulation so that they might then learn something, a word of comfort to speak into our lives further down the road in our pilgrimage. In other words, so we all get through this Christian pilgrimage together. I do want you to notice that Paul enlarges there in verse uh, 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 6 from affliction and comfort, which he's been talking about all along, and he introduces uh, salvation. And what he's talking about is not hearing the gospel and getting saved. He's talking about salvation in its ultimate sense. And what he's doing here is reminding us of the fact that this long cycle of suffering and comfort and suffering and comfort is one day going to end for the Christian. And it will end in in the very glory uh, of, of heaven itself. And so any introduction of the eternal into that kind of a trial and that kind of a difficult And uh, our ultimate hope, of course, is a great encouragement to our endurance. And then Paul concludes in verse 7 with a steadfast hope concerning ourselves and concerning others, and that is that to the degree that we experience suffering in this life, God will make sure to supply us again with an even greater comfort. And again, to what end? that we might successfully and spiritually navigate the suffering we all face in this fallen world, and to be delivered into the glory of heaven one day where there we will never experience it again. And that hope and that confidence of the Apostle Paul, as he declares it, that this measure of comfort will be, always be greater than the measure of our need, whatever the tribulation might be. That isn't something uh, that merely uh, was intended to speak to these Corinthian Christians, but is intended to reach right into this room this morning and into each of our lives as Christians. That this is the greatness and the power of God's work of comfort in our lives and the rock-solid uh, confidence that it's intended to produce within our lives. And you look at the Apostle Paul, of course we're going to listen to him anytime he opens his mouth, so to speak, in penning these epistles, because he's doing so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But what an authority on Philipsis he became in the course of his life and you look at his life and he was just flesh and blood, just like you and I. If any Christian in the history of the world could wake up and look in the mirror and say, I am a superhero, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But even he shouldn't do it, and he didn't. I'm not putting words in his mouth. But we all recognize this is an extraordinary human being with an extraordinary commitment to God who went through unspeakable things in terms of difficulty within his life, and we don't know half of them. And you wonder, how in the world did he make it? How did he make it through the beatings, through the shipwreck, through the rejection, through the betrayals? the shameful treatment on the part of Christians toward him as an an apostle, as they did in Corinth, because the greatest tribulation that some people will ever face in their life will never be physical. It'll be mental. It'll be emotional. And yet, Paul, in the course of his pilgrimage, he gets it all of it with both barrels. And here, one of his answers to that question is the God of all comfort, the powerful, powerful comfort that the Lord ministered to Him through every step of all of it. And when we look at our own lives and we ask ourselves, how is it that we've made it this far on our journey to heaven? Through all of those times when we thought, I will not get to the other side of this, seated, clothed, and in my right mind. I will not make it through this trial. It will be the end of me. I don't know who I will be at the end of this trial." And one of the answers is the comfort God has powerfully brought into our lives during tribulation in order that we would not only survive the tribulation ourselves, but to become an even greater carrier of His comfort to others as well. And then to realize, and to stop this morning, and to realize that it's been, among other things, the greatness of His comfort that has brought me this far. And again, when you stop and you, and you think, I didn't think I would ever get through that one. And how did you? One of the things He did was He got you through it With his comfort. Some mysterious, either in and of himself, or the use of other people, or some combination of circumstances and a miracle, and this and that, everything is in his hands to use in this regard. But somehow, he brought it to bear into your life in order that it would be recognized by you and me as a comfort. And He did enough of those things to finally keep us going and to bring us to this place today. And then to possess the confidence that He will do that very thing for the remainder of our life and the remainder of our pilgrimage as He one day delivers us into the glory of heaven. And it is a wonderful, wonderful truth to understand what we owe to the comfort of God and that we can never outstrip His ability to comfort. No trial in the world, no quirk of our own, no deep need or brokenness in our life. His comfort is greater than it all, than all of it. And He not only speaks comfort and encouragement in our life, but He has the ability to then stand behind it And it's one of the beautiful explanations for our lives today for which we give Him praise and we give Him thanks even as the Apostle Paul did in beginning this letter. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, when we think about those trials that made our heads spin, those trials that we thought were the tribulation that was the end of everything, that we wouldn't survive it, that we didn't know how we would survive it, how it broke us and crushed us in so many different ways. And yet, in each and every one of them, we think about the fact that You brought some perfect concoction, some perfect combination and recipe of your comfort and applied it and brought it to bear upon our lives to give us hope and comfort to continue on through the trial and into the end of it. Thank you that your comfort is inexhaustible. Thank you that you are so lavish with it, and thank you that you have been so lavish with it in each of our lives. We praise you, we thank you, and we bless you from this place this morning for it. And we do so in Jesus' name, amen.